Continuing this morning in the sermon series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, reading from chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we are thankful for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that the the word of truth which was enfleshed in him is preserved for us in Holy Scripture. And we ask, O Lord, the blessing of the Holy Spirit to open our minds, to open our hearts, that we might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that we've never heard it before, and come into deeper faith and a deeper love for you and a deeper commitment to live for your glory through Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're working our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. We are in this major section concerning justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And Paul continues this theme at verse 12. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign 
through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Next Sunday, next Sunday marks the beginning of the Major League Baseball season. (laughs) Now, I don't usually give you that kind of information in a sermon, but there's a reason. There's a point which somewhat, not perfectly, but somewhat illustrates the big idea of of this long and perhaps difficult passage and today's sermon. A baseball team has nine positions. But if you know how the game of baseball is set up philosophically, you know that at the end of the game, only one player is the winner or the loser. The win or the loss is attributed to one player. Right? The pitcher. At the end of the game, the winner or the loser is the pitcher on behalf of the entire team. Now, of course, the announcer might say, Cubs win. But in the technical accounting of the game, he will say, John Luster is the winner. Or if the Cubs lose, Jake Ariata is the loser. Now, this is not a perfect illustration, but here's the big idea. Oh, I wanted you to hear that. Mm, That was for little Daniel. (laughs) Rats. Here's the big idea. The pitcher on the baseball team is the representative of the entire team. To say it in theological vocabulary, the pitcher is the covenantal head of the body. He is the singular personal embodiment of the whole team. If he wins, the team wins. If he loses, the team loses. Now, we might naturally think that it's the other way around. If the team wins, the pitcher wins. If the team loses, then the pitcher loses. But that's not how baseball is set up philosophically. It's the pitcher who wins or loses. And therefore, that's how wins and losses are accounted to, credited to, imputed to the whole team. A baseball team has nine positions, but the win or the loss comes through only one man, the pitcher. It's not a perfect illustration, but maybe it will help keep you focused on the big idea of this passage in the sermon for today. Here's a better illustration. Comes from the Bible. We all know the story of David and Goliath, right? 
David, the little shepherd boy, slew Goliath of Gath, the giant Philistine, with a sling and a stone. But there's an interesting and important detail of that story. The army of Israel and the army of the Philistines were lined up for battle against each other. And then Goliath stepped forward and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul, the king of Israel? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Well, there it is again in the context of ancient warfare. One man from each side would represent his entire army in a winner-take-all, hand-to-hand fight. Choose a man for yourselves. Give me a man that we may fight. Well, when Saul the king and then all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. But when David heard Goliath issue this challenge, he said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. I will go and fight with this Philistine. So David went out alone to meet the giant. But before he slung the stone to kill him, David said to Goliath, The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David was all alone as he faced Goliath, but he spoke a plural pronoun. The Lord will give you into our hand. Because David represented all Israel. He was facing the giant on behalf of the entire Israelite army. David's victory over Goliath would be Israel's victory over the entire Philistine army. Winner take all. David personally represented, embodied, acted on behalf of the entire Israelite army. So when that stone sunk, Deep into the forehead of Goliath and he fell face down on the ground. The Philistines knew they were defeated and the men of Judah and Israel rose up with a shout. Victory. Now, you see the principle at work here? In baseball, one man represents the entire team as the winner or the loser. In the case of David and Goliath, each of them represented their entire army, win or lose. I hope that these illustrations of that pattern, one man representing a corporate body, will help you see the big idea of Romans 5, 12 through 21. Here it is. Your life... Your relationship with God, your eternal destiny and mine is connected to, bound up with, in union with, represented before God 
by one of two men. Either Adam, in his disobedience to God, or Jesus Christ, in his obedience to God. One or the other is your representative, your covenantal head. And it's a matter of justification or condemnation, eternal life or eternal death. Romans 5, 12 through 21 is part of a major section of Romans in which Paul is elaborating, establishing and elaborating upon the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. And in this passage, he drills down deeper, showing us again how our justification, our right standing, our restored relationship with God is assured to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul makes this point by taking us all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, Paul is referring to Adam's sin of eating the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there's a bigger backdrop to that, and we need to see it. I want you to, I want you to get this. Genesis 1, 26, God said, Let us make man, humanity, humankind, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion, rule, lordship. Let them reign over every creature on earth. So God created man, humanity, humankind, in his own image. In Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, the word for man or human, mankind, humankind, is Adam. Adam. The first man's name, Adam, means man or human. Humanity. Therefore, the first man, Adam, was created by God as the representative, the covenantal head of all humanity. Adam represented and embodied the entire human race, which would issue forth from the union with his wife, whom the Lord formed out of one of his ribs. The first man and woman were created equally in the image of God after God's likeness. That means that Adam and Eve were created as the image bearers of the invisible God in order to reflect and to display the glory of God upon the earth. It means also that they were created as rational creatures, moral creatures, volitional creatures, which means they had the capacity to make personal choices of will without being controlled by instinct. And further, they had a sinless nature. They were without sin. They were righteous. They were created with a right 
relationship with God, their creator. And they were given dominion, rule, lordship, to reign over the earth. Adam was the vice regent of creation. God, the creator or king of creation, appointed the man and the woman as the reigning prince and princess of creation with the man, Adam, the covenantal head of humanity, bearing the primary responsibility for rightly ruling the creation and being primarily accountable to God. Now let me simplify all of this into one sentence. Adam was created as the covenantal head and representative of all humanity to be the God-glorifying righteous ruler of the earth under the creator. That was the original status and purpose of our humanity rooted in Adam. But Adam rebelled against God. Adam transgressed God's clear commandment. God had given Adam the commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't Eve who brought sin into the world by eating the forbidden fruit, even though she ate it first. It was Adam who brought sin into the world because Adam was the covenantal head and representative of Eve and all humanity before God. So Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Think of what Adam had. Think of what we had in Adam. Life in paradise in peace with God. And Adam lost it all. That's what we call the fall. When Adam fell, we all fell with him, in him. When Adam lost paradise because of his sin, we all lost paradise with him, in him. When Adam sinned against God, we all in our corporate unity with him sinned against God. That's what verse 12 says, means when it says, death spread to all men because all sinned. The point there is that all humanity represented by Adam, embodied by Adam, sinned when Adam sinned. Adam's Adam's sin, his guilt, was imputed to us, to all humanity. And his sinful corruption was transmitted to us. This is the doctrine of original sin. Since Adam's fall, all humanity, with the exception of Jesus, has been born guilty. Yes. Born guilty, bearing Adam's guilt. Born already corrupted by sin, with a sinful nature, in rebellion against God. Born bearing Adam's guilt. That's the reason that in Psalm 51, David says, 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, he's not talking about the procreative act. He's acknowledging that at the very instant, the very moment of his conception in his mother's womb, he was at that very instant already corrupted by sin. It's inescapable. Now, I know that our little babies are darling and precious. But the great theologian Jonathan Edwards would remind us that our darling and precious little babies are really vipers in diapers. And that's the reason Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, the fact that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread because all sinned, This reality of original sin is self-evident. It's obvious. And just think about what the Bible reveals to us. The firstborn human, Adam and Eve's firstborn son, Cain, was a murderer. He murdered his brother, Abel. The first human brotherhood ended in murder. And so the story goes, and on and on it goes. There's something terribly wrong with the human race. There's something terribly wrong with me. Why? Because sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And verses 16 and 17 Just continue to elaborate on this point. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. And because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Death becomes the reigning power in creation. Verse 18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many, meaning the whole of humanity, were made sinners. Now there it is, the big idea. One man, Adam, the covenantal head, representative of all humanity, by his disobedience, lost it all for all of us and brought us all under the reign, the tyrannical dominion of sin and death. Through Adam's sin, we who were intended to be the reigning, ruling lords and ladies of creation with dominion over the earth for the glory of God have been enslaved by the tyrannical reign of sin and death under the condemnation of the Creator. But, but, says the Scripture, that's not all because... The the truth that sin and death came into the world through one man also has a corollary truth, an analogous truth, a parallel truth, a mirror image truth. Verse 14 tells us that Adam was, quote, a 
type of the one who was to come. The word type there means a pattern, a prefigurement, pointing to something else which is very much like it but different. Adam, the first man, the covenantal head of humanity, the representative of all humanity who lost it all for all of us, was a type of the one to come. In other words, the one who was to come would be a man, a kind of second Adam, a new Adam, a new representative of a new humanity, a new covenant head of a new body of a new humanity. The logic runs like this. Since it is the case that one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Likewise, 519, by the one man's disobedience, the many, all humanity in Adam, were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many, all in union with Jesus Christ through faith, will be made righteous. Now you see what's happening here. You've got to remember the baseball pitcher winning the game for the whole team. You've got to remember David killing Goliath for the sake of the whole Israelite army. And Paul in this passage is showing us how Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the new, true, obedient Adam whose righteous obedience is credited to those who are united to him in faith. As the new True and obedient Adam, Jesus lived a perfectly sinless, righteous life as the representative and the covenantal head of all who believe in him. And what that means is, in union with Christ, (laughs) in union with Christ, we are in union with his Righteousness, his sinless, perfect obedience is credited to our account and we are accepted by God on that basis. So that what was lost through Adam's disobedience might be restored to us through Christ's obedience. And verse 17 is very important. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned Through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now look, here's the thing. Simply by virtue of the fact that we are human creatures, descendants of Adam, we are naturally in union with Adam. He is our natural covenant head and representative. And in that corporate unity with Adam, we are fallen with him, fallen in him under the tyrannical reign of sin and death. But the scripture tells us here, verse 17, that those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In union with Christ through faith by being connected to him as our covenant head, as our representative, we receive, we are credited with his sinless, 
perfect obedience. Just as Adam's sin and guilt was imputed to us, so Christ's obedience and righteousness is imputed to us, declared to be ours. The basis of our standing with God when we receive the free gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But if we are not in Christ through faith in him, then we are still in Adam. And if we are in Adam, we are condemned. But if we are in Christ by faith, we are justified by his blood, delivered from the curse and power of sin and death. We are being restored to our true humanity. We're being renewed in the likeness of God to reign in life with him in the paradise of God forever. You are connected to one of two men. Now think about it. We're almost to Holy Week. In the garden, Adam rebelled against God and ruined us. In another garden, Jesus said, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. To redeem us. We're almost to Good Friday. Think about Jesus. Think about the words with which Pontius Pilate presented him to the crowd. You remember what Pilate said? Behold the man. Behold the man. Pilate had no idea what he was saying. As he sentenced the new and true, obedient, righteous Adam to his death. A death which would justify the ungodly and reconcile us sinners to our holy righteous creator think about it the first Adam ate the fruit of that tree and it became to him a tree of death and he was cast out of paradise Jesus the obedient Adam as he was dying on another tree said to the repentant thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. For as by one man's disobedience, all humanity were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, obedience unto death, even death on a cross, The many who believe in him will be made righteous. And therefore, in the words of the Apostle Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray.
Our Father and our God, we rejoice and revel in the glorious gospel of your Son. What you have done for us is beyond all imagining. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will work your word deeply into the depths of our hearts, into the recesses of our minds to renew and transform us and further sanctify us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might live as his redeemed people for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, please stand as we affirm our faith, professing the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world in the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This morning, Ashton and Will Mintz bring their daughter, Ellen Margaret Mintz, to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, uh, Holy Baptism. (laughs) She'll receive communion as she grows. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Obeying the word of our Lord Jesus Christ and confident of his promises, we baptize those whom God has called. And what a wonderful opportunity on this Sunday where we've heard about how death has come in through one man and been 
triumphed over by one man, that we can see the gospel in tangible form. The water of baptism signifies the washing away of our sins by the blood of Christ and the renewal of our lives by the Holy Spirit. It also signifies that we have been buried with Christ in his death. From this we learn that our sin has been condemned by God, that we are to hate it and to consider ourselves as having died to it. Moreover, the water of baptism signifies that we are raised with Christ in his resurrection. From this we learn that we should walk in the newness of life given to us in Christ. All of this tells us that we have been adopted in Christ as the children of God. Paul says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Thus, in baptism, God seals the promises he gave when he made his covenant with us, calling us and our children to put our trust for life and death in Christ, our Savior, to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to follow him in obedience and love. God graciously includes our children in his covenant, and all of his promises are for them as well as for us. Jesus himself embraced little children and blessed them. So just as the children of the old covenant received the sign of circumcision, our children are given the sign of baptism. We are therefore always to teach our little ones that they have been set apart by baptism as God's own children. This is our and their true identity. So now I ask you, Ashton and Will, these questions. Do you acknowledge Ellen's need for the cleansing blood of Jesus and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? If so, say, I do. Do you claim God's covenant promises and benefits for Ellen? And by faith, do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your child as you do your own? If so, say, I do. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God? And do you promise by relying on God's power and grace through the Holy Spirit to live an exemplary life before your child? If so, say, I do. Do you commit yourself to pray with and for your child, to teach your child the scriptures and the great articles of our faith in Jesus Christ? If so, say, I do. And do you promise to use every means provided by God, including faithful participation and the life of the church to bring your child up in the living, loving discipline of the Lord? If so, say, I do. And now will the congregation please stand and answer these questions. Do you, the members of this congregation, acting for yourselves and in behalf of the whole body of Christ, Assume responsibility with these parents for the spiritual nurture of this child. If so, say, we do. And do you commit yourself to set a godly example before this child to provide as far as you are able all that is necessary to the end that this child may one day confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? If so, say, we do. Let us pray together. Eternal and gracious God, we give you thanks. In countless ways, you have revealed yourself in ages past and have blessed us with signs of your grace. We praise you that through the waters of the sea, you led your people Israel out of bondage. 
into freedom in the land of your promise. We praise you for sending Jesus, your son, who for us was baptized in the waters of the Jordan and was anointed as a Christ by your Holy Spirit. Through the baptism of his death and resurrection, you set us free from the bondage of sin and death and gave us cleansing and rebirth. We praise you that in baptism you give us your Holy Spirit who teaches us and leads us into all truth, filling us with a variety of gifts that we might proclaim the gospel to all nations and serve you as a royal priesthood. Pour out your spirit upon us and upon this water that it may be set aside from a common to a sacred use. May Ellen, who now passes through these waters, be delivered from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from sin to righteousness. Bind her to the household of faith. Guard her from all evil. Strengthen her to serve you with joy until the day you make all things new. To you be all praise, honor, and glory through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. What is the Christian name given to this child? Ellen. Ellen Margaret. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Child of God, child of the covenant, you have been sealed in baptism by the Holy Spirit and engrafted into Christ forever. Ellen Margaret, for you, Jesus Christ came into the world. For you, he lived and showed God's love. For you, he entered into the shadows of Gethsemane and the terror of Calvary. For you, he cried at the last, it is finished. And for you, he triumphed over death and rose to the newness of life. For you, he ascended into heaven, and there for you, he intercedes and reigns at God's right hand. All of this he did for you, though you do not yet know it. But this is what we believe. And in this way, the words of Scripture have been fulfilled that we love because God first loved us. Amen. Congregation, the newest member of the Church of Christ, the one holy and Catholic apostolic church, she is now a member. And so I charge you to nurture her and love her and show her Christ. You may be seated. and concerns listed in the bulletin. Uh, no new updates on Andrew Brunson. He remains in prison, although 
He is uh, still able to see and speak with his wife regularly. He is still receiving literature from his wife, and so he is able to read in prison. And as we have announced in weeks past, uh, the Trump administration is familiar with its situation, and uh, members of the Trump administration are uh, speaking with officials in Turkey to secure his release. And let us continue to pray in that direction. I have received word that uh, both Mike Houston and Lee Pearson are uh, improving every day. So continue to pray for their continued to recover, recover. Let us now turn our hearts towards the Lord in prayer. Let us pray together. God of all light and truth, we give thanks for your prophets who proclaimed your word through the gener- generations. Even when it was difficult to say and unpopular with public opinion who called your people back to their first love. Your truth has often fallen on our ears, stinging us for the ways in which we have disobeyed you. Shining light on how we have failed to love you and to love each other. We give you thanks and praise for your word who took on flesh in Jesus Christ and your truth who lived among us living in perfect obedience to your will and calling us from our wandering ways and back to you. In him, we have come to understand the fullness of your love. We have seen your heart, which is filled with compassion for this world and desires that we live in the freedom and joy of your will. In him, the death that came into the world through one man's trespass has been swallowed up and defeated by your love and grace. Father, we do confess that even though your love is great, Your truth is still often difficult to swallow as we are called out of the darkness and into the light of the newness of life given to us in Jesus Christ. Reveal to us the ways in which we continue to serve false gods and try to create a false identity, working so hard to look good on the outside and to portray a flawless image to those who surround us. Replace all of our striving for ourselves with a faith which rests in you alone. Help us to live the life of freedom given to us in Christ Jesus, constantly relying on you for our daily bread, rather than clinging to the things of this world and finding security in them. Forbid it, Lord, that our earthly possessions would hinder us from following you into the life you have for us. And forgive us, gracious God, for our weakness, for placing our trust in that which is seen. So give us the faith to trust. We know that faith is a gift from you, so we come as your children, humbly pleading to have our faith increased, trusting in you as our Father to give us what we most need. Teach us to put our trust in Christ alone, who alone can keep us from falling by the wayside of self-deception, avarice, false pride, and boredom, who alone can lead us to you, the Father who gives us eternal life. And we pray that you would give us the courage to follow him. May our faltering steps be strengthened by his great love, which demonstrated itself in a willingness to suffer on our behalf. Help us to walk boldly in his name by the power of your Holy Spirit. Startle us with Christ's call to sacrifice all that we are and have to follow him. Not serving you any longer, only at our convenience. Help us to make ourselves vulnerable before one another, 
confessing our sins before one another and leaning on each other in our weakness, as together we are built up in full maturity in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remind us that you are not a God who desires to be added to our lives, one more item on a long list of things to acquire and possess, one more source of strength, comfort, or inspiration when we need it, among many others that we can turn to when we desire. You desire all that we are. You desire that we would surrender all and allow ourselves to be possessed by you. You desire that we would find all of our strength and wisdom in you. You desire that we would allow ourselves to be added to your kingdom. Give to us hearts which understand this truth and wills which are ready to submit to yours. As we follow you out beyond the walls of our own lives, help us to care for those you call us to. Empower us to participate in your work, binding up the brokenhearted, bringing hope to the hopeless, healing the sick, offering peace to those in the midst of conflict, releasing the chains of bondage, shining your light into the darkness of this world. Lord, we pray for opportunities to serve you in tangible ways this week, for eyes that are able to recognize these opportunities, for hearts that are eager to obey, for hands and feet that are willing and able to attend to the needs of your kingdom work, whether it be sharing the gospel with a co-worker, comforting a friend who is mourning, providing a meal for someone with special needs in our larger community. Even as we participate with you and give witness to your love, we lift up to you all who hurt this day, who mourn the death of a loved one, who struggle with addiction, who are anxious about the future. We especially lift unto your care Mike Houston and Lee Pearson. By your great mercy, continue to provide your healing to them. And with the power of your presence, bring your peace, bring your comfort, bring your hope, bring your strength. We also continue to lift before you Andrew Brenson. We pray for you to encourage him this day by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Protect him body, mind, and soul from the fiery darts of the evil one. Give to him courage to continue to live for your glory and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, even from prison. May his life be a shining beacon of your light and truth and goodness. And we ask that even as he patiently endures, that you would soften the hearts of the officials responsible for his imprisonment, that he would soon be released and allowed to return to the United States. Continue to shape us into a community which is called out from this world to serve, until the day when your kingdom finally comes on earth as it is in heaven. We lift these prayers in the name of Jesus the Christ, who teaches us to pray these things. As we pray the prayer he taught his disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we collect this morning's tithes and offerings, let us remember the words of our Savior. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Therefore, let us give back a portion of what God has so gracious and generously given to us. See 